Hello humans, it's Rob here with Not A Robot Podcast, DC Comics Review Show number 117, the world's greatest comic show about the world's greatest superheroes, and I pose to you this question, dear listener, Link of Hyrule, Hero of Time, or Terrorist of Time? Think about that, we'll get more to that later on. And with me as always is Josh. Josh? Oh, Josh, there? <laughs> I'm here. My mic was muted. Hey, everybody. Uh-oh. How's it going? <laughs> and joining us this week is special guest host, Nathan. Hello. I'm back. It's been a little while, but this is uh, that I'm here. And I'm excited to talk about this week's comic. Definitely. Welcome oh, yeah. back. Yeah. Brandon's off this week being a student of all things knowledgeable. I, I don't know what his major is, but I imagine all things knowledgeable takes up a lot of free time. Uh, I can't even imagine the workload or something like that. So, yeah, he'll come back a little smarter, I hope. <clears throat> so if you ever want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to comics at notarobotpodcast.com, and you can get us on Twitter, too, at notarobotcomics. And if you feel like supporting us, you can. We are on buymeacoffee.com forward slash podcasts, And we have our own Discord server. And you can uh, get in touch with us on there by getting on our Buy Me A Coffee website. And we are always online talking about something. Every day there's something new. It's a lot of fun. We were talking about poutine today. It's, Yum. Oh, God. Yeah. There's, there's always something. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, I Join need a us. poutine. Definitely. I think everybody needs a poutine. Poutine is like the ultimate, like, let's stop fighting and just eat. Yep, just eat poutine. <laughs> kind of food. That's it. It's just, oh, this is so need, good. I'm not even mad Everybody, <laughs> Everybody needs to move to Toronto and order Uber Eats and get get a family-sized poutine and a bag of weed. Because Uber yeah. Eats delivers weed in, in Toronto now. Toronto's yeah. too cold. I'm sorry. I mean, oh, I'm hey, actually. <laughs> depend, depends on actually. Yeah, I was gonna say depend, but I'm I'm further a little further north. But when you're in Toronto, the lake is there, so yeah, it it kind of gets a good breeze in between the the skyscrapers. <laughs> so I don't blame you there. I really don't blame you. If you come over my side, just a little north of Toronto, it's uh it's a lot warmer. I had to wear shorts today. <laughs> See, I'm over in Atlanta, so um. So short sweater oh, yeah. is still like fairly normal here, but it got kind yeah. of cold though. It got to like fifty um, recently for like a like two days, and then got jumped back up to 70, 80. So it's been pretty. Oh nice. yeah, I'm I'm just about two hours away from you, Nathan, and uh, getting up at six o'clock in the morning to get the kids off to school. Holy cow, is it cold outside? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's that time of year. It's if you're up at before the sun like it's super cold then but then super warm in the afternoon you never know what to wear yeah just yeah. bring a jacket so you can take it off later that's all that's exactly it <laughs> and then people look at you weird when you're wearing a winter coat and shorts it's that's where I live <laughs> Deal with it. people do that a lot around here <laughs> I never understood that when I lived in Michigan yeah, I, I actually there's some people. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that got to be it. That's, that's the only explanation. There's some people living around here that in the dead of winter, they'll shovel their driveways wearing sandals. <laughs> okay, that's just masochistic. It's, like, we all know that. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> Forget that. I, yeah. <laughs> I can't argue that. Uh-uh. Okay. Like wearing uh, a metal mask to avoid frostbite. You just don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we get into major media news, uh, we'll just do a run through of the books. Today we're looking at Dark Crisis, Young Justice number 5, Catwoman number 48, The Flash number 787, Nightwing number 97, World's Finest number 8, I Am Batman number 14, GCPD The Blue Wall number 1, and Flashpoint Beyond number 6, as well as a few honorable mentions. Uh, so before we get into our reviews, let's get into some news. I've, I've just got a few things here. Um, in comics world that I've got, honestly, only one of these things is DC. <laughs> uh, James Tynan IV uh, has announced a new horror book, which I think is his first horror follow-up after uh, Nice House in the Lake called World Tree. It's going to be hosted at Image, and I do not have any other information because I'm a professional. (laughs) Bigger James Tinian news is that he's working on a movie now. Uh, He's making an indie movie called Room Service. Oh. And that's the huge news because it's gotten fully funded now. So. Oh, wow. I did not realize that. That is cool news. That's really good. Be interesting to see what he can do with that. Yeah. I assume he's writing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is. Yeah, but it's like it's gonna be like a small indie movie, but I think he's yeah. still gonna be really excited for it. And you know, horror movies are one of those things where you don't really need a massive budget to be successful if you can oh, no. find the right angle. And James Tinian's obviously exactly. very, very skilled at horror. So if anyone's gonna find a lot of success, I mean, it's him, right? Exactly. Yeah, well, that's something to look forward to for sure. I mean, if um, it follows nice on the nice house on the lake, the way that he told that story, then yeah, oh yeah, I'm all about it, man. So that flows nicely into movie news, which is my other two points. Geiger from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank is being turned into a TV series. Uh, I did not see what is being hosted on, but it is being developed as a TV show. So that's exciting. I have not read Geiger yet, but I've heard it's pretty awesome stuff it is it's so, a hell of a yeah. book hell of a book i gotta get into that i have the first uh volume of the the paper the trade here i just haven't had a chance to get into it yet but it looks really you'll good. enjoy it yeah. and uh the last bit of news i have this is the news that i warned josh might break his heart DC oh, no. has canceled yet another movie. Well, I say DC. Warner Brothers has canceled yet another movie <laughs> in DC's what catalog. Movie? Zatanna is no longer oh, going come forward. On, another man. one of those yeah. Abrams movies where they gave Abrams like $300 million to do a dark uh, Justice League or whatever. Justice League and then, Dark. Uh, yep. Justice League Dark. I'm dumb. And then like we never saw any of that like four years later. And he's still playing yeah. he's working on them. I yeah, the I, I don't know if Zatanna was tied to that, but that is, yeah, like he, he's still got that yeah. deal apparently. 
There was yeah. supposed to be the Constantine movie as a Tana movie, the the Madame Xanadu television show, and then it was all supposed to pull together. Okay, well, I mean, the Constantine yeah. movie's gotten spun off into a new one with the Keanu Reeves, right? So yeah, that one's still theoretical work. But speaking of movies, of course, Black Adam reviews are out, and they are awful. Yes, everyone oh, is yeah. saying it is not good at all, and it is not it's disappointing um because dc's been on a pretty consistent streak lately um and there was a good chance that like black adam could be very successful um but it turns out not so much so that's fun i'm gonna reserve judgment wait what what did you say yeah Uh, is it is that critic review or fan review critic reviews they've been atrocious okay yeah. yeah, like that's I don't know that's the thing I, I found with critics, uh, like with critic reviews and fan reviews, that they're like for big movies like this, I find they're often opposites. So yeah, I mean, might be they like, always shit on DC movies, man. Yeah. That's not necessarily like, it's, true. I mean, they were well, it's not maybe not them, in every yeah, it might might not be in every situation, but like there's there's movies that and I think this could be the case at least with Dwayne Johnson because he's very much. With every interview he has, he very very much seems like he's part of this this camp, where he's making this movie for the fans of DC and of the character. Are you he's sure? He's not making that, a movie to please critics. You know, he's not trying to make a triple A blockbuster. But he's he's trying to make a movie about the character. I guess like here's my thing about like Black Adam, right? Is Dwayne the Rock Johnson yeah. talking about how he's wanting to do this for forever and forever? And every time he talks oh, yeah, about it, he's, he's, clear, he's so like excited for this, right? But, like, mm-hmm. he's clearly so excited. But every time he talks about what the movie's about, it's almost as if there was nothing of substance. Like, it was always really Because uh, he didn't want to spoil anything. He, he doesn't want to, like, spoil a damn thing. Because that's, that's... Yeah, but then the review he, that's what he knows about the fans. substance in the movie itself. So... Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I, again, according a, a to the critics... Plot, plot leak, and it definitely... The plot leak I read, whether it's true or not, did not have much to it. But like Josh said, I'm also gonna like reserve judgment for when I yeah. see it Saturday night. Well, yeah. speaking of other bad DC reviews, uh, Gotham Knights. Reviews oh, hold on, came out. before before oh. before before we move on from Black Adam, I just want to say I saw the mid credit scene. Holy shit! You saw it coming from a mile away, but it was still cool to see. Um, that's yeah. all I'm gonna say, and I'm glad to see that at least out of the Black Adam movie. That part is something to be excited about. We will not spoil it, of course. All right, sorry, Nathan. Maybe just Go ahead. Out last um, night. And then Gotham Knights, the video game reviews are out, and they are also awful. IGN gave it awful. a five. And Nathan, my IGN's... heart is broken about yeah. this. I was so sad. It is broken. On the bright side, my wallet had just got eighty dollars back, so you know. I yep. can't <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, we'll, we'll save it for now. Put it to the side for uh, Justice League versus the Suicide Squad. Hopefully, that will be better. <laughs> we'll see. If it ever I'm comes honestly, out, fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm honestly though getting confused at this point about which studio is doing what. I know the Suicide Squad versus Justice League team was tied to the Arkham games, but I don't remember if it was the main series so, or Arkham yeah, so Origins. Rock said he did the main series. Gotham Knights yeah. is the one who did the the short the shorter like spin-off one that wasn't okay, like part they of the main did trilogy. Arkham. 
origins. Okay, good. Yes, yes, that right. makes more and sense then, now. <laughs> and then there's also so, the Wonder Woman project in work, and that's being done by the team yes. who did the the Shadow of Mordor series mm-hmm. and the uh, same okay. Nemesis engine. So that I feel have some faith in. But we'll see yeah, about those, Justice those League versus games. Suicide Squad. Rocksteady is a very talented developer, but yeah. the premise of this being like a multiplayer shooter is continues to throw me off like why this was the choice right yeah right i mean you don't want to be a one-trick pony i guess when when your three biggest games were sequels of each other and they were just single player adventures like and again if you want to branch out to something a little different no, I get a studio wanting to branch out, right? But you have yeah. to make what you're good at, right? Or something that's within yeah. your skill set. Because if you go too ambitious and you don't have that level of talent, you make a Gotham Knights, where everyone says it's a, it's not a great game. It's not super fun. The combat's repetitive. There's some good yeah. moments, but it doesn't... But, like, so many, like, moments of unfun gameplay that it's not worth it. And mm-hmm. if you go too ambitious and you're not ready for it as a studio like you are going to fall apart and right it's not that yeah. studios can't genre yep. change i mean guerrilla games did a great job with like horizon after moving from a shooter to horizon but like generally speaking it's just disappointing that like warner brothers is just giving these studios free reign remember it's been eight years since we last got a game from the studio and they yeah, gave us yeah, Gotham Knights after eight time. years of development. Like, it's just frustrating. And I think fans are mm-hmm. disappointed because I was excited for it. Me I had too. prepared to be spending all day playing it. And then the reviews came out and I was like, never mind. Yeah. I had, I, who, who I, I made my wife promise that she would sit down and play the game with me. And now I'm like, I'm oh. not even buying it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, she was all for it and everything. And now it's all gone. Right, that's a shame. Indeed. And Josh and I were talking just before you you came, Nathan, about this, and I was saying it. The gameplay that's come out recently and some of the reviews reminds me a lot of the Avengers game, which also was. But not like great. the reviews are worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> are I did worse. not think was possible. I I actually had a really bad time playing Avengers. I, I enjoyed the story, but the gameplay was so freaking horrible. I think I put <laughs> so in like 40 hours I'm surprised that this is worse. I might have as well, because I finished the campaign and then I played a bit of the, the post-game content. I played until I got to my first like 150 power level character, and then I was like, okay, I'm done. There's not much else here. No. I'm good. Moving on. I don't on. even remember what and it then I know I maxed out back. this Marvel. Yeah. I came back for the, each of the DLCs, and then the Wakanda DLC and after I played through the story of the Wakanda DLC it was like yeah this game just doesn't feel much better I'm moving on uh, I, mean, yeah. I haven't touched it since so, yeah, it's been two years since that released I think yeah. maybe more but I'm just like how did you not learn from Avengers like you know? how do you manage to make a game that's reviewed worse than Avengers when you had two years to take lessons you know and make changes I mean Look at the Arkham series, look at the Spider-Man games, and take a couple fucking notes. I mean, that's yeah. how you make a superhero game. Yeah. Right. But that's I mean, also trying to the take, thing. Like, yeah, they're trying to combine, like, Spider-Man gameplay with, like, Avengers. But the problem is... Yeah. It's, Avengers is so bad that, like, to try to emulate it in any <laughs> capacity is just gonna yeah. fall apart. 
Exactly. Like, and you that, know what's going to fix this headache? Difference. That brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference, though, between a, a single player triple-A adventure, which you get from Spider-Man in the Arkham series, versus the games-as-a-service model that we discussed on uh, the Discord yesterday with Kirk, that just everybody's doing it, but it doesn't work. Which well, is what we got from Avengers, what we're games. getting from Gotham Knights. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's yeah. Sorry, I I I will put an asterisk there. Like, there's some games that are super successful, like, uh, like Fortnite and Rocket League, like that. Um, but those are also free titles where you're paying full price, and then you get mediocre gameplay and DLC that's boring as shit. No, thank you. Yeah, uh, I mean the collector's edition for for uh, and Nathan, you said you got eighty dollars back, so I'm assuming that you I got that. I was going to buy the deluxe edition, the Nightwatch yeah. suits. So, yeah. Yeah, you get the Nightwatch suits and a, a Bat Cycle skin, and I believe that's it. And There's I like just, one, one or you two know, more yeah. things, but I was like, I'll it do just, it. The suits are I was, cool. I'm excited for this game. It's one of the more exciting games for me of going to be playing this year. And then I saw the reviews, and I was like, never mind. Yeah. It, yep, same same thing, man. Same damn thing. When it's thirty bucks and it's on like deep deep sale, which it, I assume it will be at some point, like I'll play it then. Because I still want to yeah. give it a go. I just I'm not in a hurry to pay eighty bucks, sixty to eighty bucks for it anymore. No, you're right though. I'd I'd pay thirty bucks just to go through the campaign and and uh, hear the story. Exactly right. Uh, I'll wait till the. Although I've heard the, the story is not great, <laughs> so. Oh well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh crap. Well then, fuck it. I'm just gonna wait till it's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised at the the lack of story. Yeah. What can you do? Well, Especially when they they were very, promising like, so many cool villains. Yeah. What can you do? You can start a podcast the... and bitch about it. Yeah. My <laughs> understanding is the problem is the villains are very like their own little side stories. And then, like, yeah. the main story, which is the Court of the Owls, basically the way that seems the game works is you have to, like, do a bunch of random exploration to unlock a new side quest, to unlock a new quest. And then you have to do more, and then you do that quest, and then you have to do more exploration to unlock the next quest. And that cycle doesn't seem to be very rewarding, and it actually feels almost yeah. like there's filler, lots and lots and lots of filler content. And yeah. it's just disappointing. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. No. Not a fan. But anyway, yeah. we got a bunch of incredible comics to talk about, so let's not... We do yeah. have a bunch of comics to talk about, don't deep we? Deep in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we start, we're we... going to start off a little there. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into that, do we want to talk about uh, the solicits that dropped today, or oh, the yeah. lack thereof? I mean, the solicits came out... And they yeah. included things that would have already been announced, and then they include yeah. a bunch of filler one-off stories um, yep. for the second year semester for the second month in a row. And I do not know what's going on. Um, you know, I remember in the lead up to Infinite Frontier before they announced Future State, I was like, "Watch out for January. Everything's going to be in January. It's going to be huge." Because you looked at like the November and then December solicits, and you're like, "Oh, something's big is about to come up." And then we got yeah. to January, and it was Future State, and it was like, "Okay, but the big thing's coming up in just a little bit." And then it was per- then Infinite Frontier got announced, and I was like super excited about it. And then this 
almost doesn't feel like that. It feels almost like every single comic, but like a couple are holding off on yeah. big announcements, and I'm mm-hmm. just confused because yeah. the, there's a minor problem of the new post-crisis continuity begins in January, and people are going to be excited for it, and I just don't see any of the content. And maybe they're trying to hold off till March so that they can release the big comic and then announce everything. But I don't know. I'm nervous. Um, it's just strange. It seems a long much. stretch. Yeah, right. So I know I, I mean, mentioned I have fair. a theory. I just, I just came up with a second one. Oh, yeah? So what's your theory? <laughs> this one's even better. <laughs> so my first theory is actually based on off a comment I read on Reddit. Um, that they're purposely holding off on big announcements for major stuff until they get closer to the end of Dark Crisis so they don't yeah. spoil even more of the story than they already have and then that also follows to your point that they'll maybe do it in March because uh, we already have in January we have Lazarus Planet taking over and then we have Nightwing number 100 as the big books and I can't remember when's Action 1050 is that December? That's yeah, that's December. It's the first that's post crisis okay. comic. Yeah. Right. So then yeah, we got new the new format with action in January as well. So there's there's definitely some big stuff happening, but it's stuff we already knew about, so that's why it might have felt a little underwhelming and then they're holding off until uh Dark Crisis calms down a bit and they don't spoil stuff. That's fine. My alternate theory is that this typical part for the course for Joshua Williamson just have like no proper ending. And then it just ends and everything goes back to normal. <laughs> but but that's just the cynical me talking, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put weight on that one. But it, the the first yeah. I think the former theory might have some weight to it. Yeah, I mean, so the big things, right, um, in terms of what's coming, um, they're doing a like they've been doing with DC Pride, they're doing a Black History Month special, a DC Power, a celebration coming out uh, on the 21st of January. That's super exciting. It right features on. a bunch of uh, big black heroes. I think that'll that'll be awesome. There's, of course, the Flash Minute War, which will be a Flash event that will just take place in the Flash with the Flash family, where an entire war will happen over the course of one minute. Um, there's, of course, Lazarus Planet, which will be a weekly two-month series. Um, and that's been said to spin off into a bunch of different things. So I assume that's part of what, what we, why we feel like they're holding off on stuff. Um, yeah. And then that's pretty much it, other than, like, some of the, like, next issues of books like Wildcats or the Golden Age content. Um, Brandon predicted the one-minute war. Oh, that was... Yeah. Like, he was joking about it. it. He wasn't serious about it, and then it turned out to be true, so... This is crazy. <laughs> um, it's a cool premise, though. I'm yeah. excited for it. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. We'll there was a preview image I saw on one of the news sites today, which had uh, Bart, Ace, Wally, and Barry racing together, which looked really cool. Mm-hmm. But you know what Lazarus Planet reminds me a bit of? It reminds me of that like Internal Winter series, where it was like a yeah. fun like weekly sort of like mini a set of like mini stories to like hold to be like a holding set of books where like, like endless they're, they're just waiting for that to finish but it wasn't like super yeah. important but it was just like the main was like, story but it was actually pretty good so yeah 
fingers crossed. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't hate Endless Winter. I thought it would like to call it an event felt kind of dull. It was it to, it really felt more just like a crossover big story. But I think they were pushing it as an event, and it felt kind of maybe it's just the marketing kind of blew it for me. But I didn't really hate the story. No, it was it was a nice little Justice League romp. Yeah, I actually think it's the best Justice League story they've released in like eight years. <laughs> That's really not a high bar. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of all the other Justice League stories. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, don't do that to yourself. I I didn't mind the early Scott Snyder stuff before he got too into uh, the totality and 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 uh, what what's her name the creator Perpetua yeah. like Perpetua. some of the early stuff with with the uh, the Legion of Doom I thought was really interesting. A lot of fun stuff with with the when they incorporated the the still force and um you mean you the, didn't the like visible spectrum Predator, like... that was cool i actually thought it was pretty cool <laughs> yeah that wasn't my complaint with the series yeah um, having a, complaint... a history with martian manhunter i thought that was interesting my complaint is that year of the villain was maybe the worst event dc has ever done so yes know, yes that's, that's the bigger problem uh, i don't know about the worst they've ever done but it was definitely up there now which it's in the conversation partly because it like actively ruins the dcu on its way to like yeah <laughs> like it's not a bad like the main story is not terrible but it like does so much damage to everything else that it like sent the universe into like a multi-month like weird continuity Lull. disaster yeah. which villain tornado. thing because they did like three villain things in a row is you're the villain the one where they had forever evil was that that no. event no no which one was year of the villain because i get them so, confused it was dc summer of events and yeah. then that was when the justice no justice happened oh right, and then a right, year right, later right. snyder for the 25th through the 32nd issue of his run did Year of the Villain called and his arc was Justice Doom War and the way it worked is every single comic had to basically put like two pages at the end to show like Lex Luthor giving them all a power but like right. then comics right. afterwards were like oh yeah we take place before this and then some were like and like it was like how does this event happen but then like other stuff happens in the meantime and there was the infamous uh, Bendis tie-in that was like a tie-in to three different events at once it was like Year of the Villain crossed with um, Event Leviathan, and I forget what the other event was, but it was like a triple tie-in, and I was like, what is happening? This is the biggest mess. I, I think, if, that, if that's the action comic story you're talking about, it, it was dealing, I think it also kind of tied into Young Justice, because Connor came back. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then it was also dealing with its own story with the Red Mist, and it was just too uh-huh. much. <laughs> As a triple tie-in. I, I could not it's stand disaster. those issues. Oh my god. It was like, what, a two or three part story, and it was just way too much content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about mm-hmm. just disastrous events. That That is up there yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, to be fair, more than half of the stories he's referencing were his own stories. <laughs> yes, and for, that like, is very true. Completely out of Bendis fashion, he incorporated someone else's story for once. But that's. You know what I will say is a huge joy <laughs> of looking through these solicits, though? You know how many times I saw the word Brian Michael Bendis? Zero. How many? Zero. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and it's sad that that's uh, exciting, but it yeah. is so. It is so exciting. 
it is uh, sad, sad to say though it is another month we do not have an Aquaman a Green Arrow a Green Lantern or a Suicide Squad title well technically uh, technically speaking if I can jump into my honorable mentions real quick we did have an Aquaman title Andromeda 3 that was kick ass yeah. so were the rest of the books DC War of the Undead Gods 3 DC versus Vampires All Out War, Rogues Four, uh, the fifth issue of Black Adam, uh, Batman the Night was good, Fables was good, Duo was awesome, Titans United Blood Pact is Titans United Blood Pact. I mean, I guess if you're into it, yay. It's it's not wowing me over. And uh, Batman One Bad Day Penguin, also not a bad book, and I was not expecting to be okay with that. Right on. But yeah, so we did have an Aquaman book, technically. That's true. I, I completely L- forgot because I have not had a chance to read that one yet. That and Rogues are the last two on my list for this week. I've not had a chance yet. I'm excited for Rogues. That, that one looks... I've been I've enjoyed the first three issues. That's been a blast. Yeah, it's been yeah, good. I haven't, I haven't read most surprised. of those. I haven't read most of those. Okay, trying to, I don't tend to read the out of continuity stuff. But um, Black Adam was a mess. Um, I like Christopher Priest's work, but like I think sometimes you just need someone to tell a writer, "Hey, just clean up your plot a little bit. Just make it like twenty percent more clear, and your story will be like four times better." Because it's not that there's not like good stuff in there, but it's so all over the map that's like hard to follow what's actually going on. Um, yeah, it's just a little frustrating. I, kind of, <laughs> I, I, I really will, like I it, but I get that. what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, I, it is, I totally just like clean it up like ten to twenty percent more. It's why one of my favorite yeah. Morrison books is his Batman run, and uh, as well as his uh, recent Superman and the Authorities, because he just cleaned up his weirdness just a little bit, and it made like the story a lot better. It's why Doom Patrol, like... the TV show, is so good. It cleans up the weirdness just enough for it to like be fun. Well, that's you heard it here first, Morrison. folks. Nathan is saying, curb your enthusiasm. Not curb just enough, just enough that like yeah. anyone can read it and be able to recite what the plot was to you. If you can't recite the plot <laughs> back after you read the story, there's a problem. You know, and I sometimes can't tell you what the plot of Black Adam fun. Sometimes those are the most fun Grant Morrison stories. So if you read his his eighteen issue run on Action Comics or New Fifty Two, and you tell me you understood it. I would call you a liar, but also tell me it was bad, and I'd call you a liar. <laughs> it's fine. such a trip. Uh, sixth and dimension it's fun. is weird. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Kind of had that same discussion with Holly just today. Um, how it took her four times watching dinner with the schmucks before she could really enjoy the movie. The first three times she saw it, she did not enjoy it at all. That's just too many why, times. Why? That's why what I'm want- saying. If you yeah, didn't like that's it the what first I'm time, saying. why would you go back a second? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 exactly. If I if I gotta watch it more than once to understand what the fuck happened, I did not sign up for a history course. No, I'm also curious <laughs> what what happened on the fourth viewing that kind of clicked. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think at some that? point, I think at some point, it's like that social cue where somebody's explaining something and you just t- tuned them completely out, and you just kind of go, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> 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 Fair enough. 
I, I've been there, yeah, I get that. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I do think when you watch something enough times, like, you get a better sense of, like, who's who, and the plot and all of that things, and, like, more beats click in your mind. Because I will tell you, like, sometimes mm. when I review a comic, I have this impression of it when I read it the first time, where I'm like, this was very busy, it was tough to understand, and then when you go back in with a more fine-tooth comb, sometimes the stories are a lot more clear when you, like, write out, like, who's who and all that stuff. But I do that feel like does... sometimes it's like that's more work than it should be, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, what do you guys think? Should we get into the spotlight? I yeah. think we should. Yeah, so the first one, uh, just to preface this, we are switching it up a little bit today. Normally, I Am Batman, which is our first book in our spotlight section, is usually covered under our regular in-depth section. But because that one leads into the only other book we had in Spotlight, GCPD, The Blue Wall, we've opted to put that one first and then have The Blue Wall right next to it. Uh, so we'll pass it on over to Josh to tell us about where Jace is right now. I am Batman 14, and he's out getting pizza. <laughs> Written by John Ridley with Christian Deuce and Tom Dernick on art, right Rex Locus and Romeo Friardo Jr. on colors, Troy Pateri on lettering, and the cover came from Deuce and Locus. The issue starts out with a brief catch-up of one of the plots in this title, Who Killed Anarchy? The catch-up? A protester in favor of the magistrate in Gotham was killed. Anarchy was investigating and was killed as well. He got shot by the Moral Authority, a domestic terrorist group, but someone else was the one that killed him later shooting him at point blank range and now batman says that he knows who did it the leader of the underground group that danny chan the murdered man was a member of except he was also a police informant so the group took them both out including anarchy for investigating after whooping some extremist butt Batman and the question are talking on the rooftops when Batman asks if he passed her test. And she replied that he wasn't the one being tested. Which I believe will be a statement that leads directly into our next book. Uh, next we get a little bit of Tam in her vigilante costume doing the vigilante do. Before the cops are alerted to her presence and they rush there after she beats up the guys who tried to who, try, who tried to make uh, someone rob a liquor store. They ask who she is, and she says, I am she who puts foot in ass. I am she who delivers beatdowns on punks. Yeah, I am her as hell. So I'm, I'm wondering if at this point, maybe did she just adopt her moniker? Is it, is it, is she going to start calling herself her? But anyway, Honestly, I, I think, think uh, she'll go she... by Robin. But you think you think, think so? Yeah, I think we're working there. I mean, the suits the right colors. Um, obviously, yeah. like Jace is Batman, mm -hmm. so Jace getting a Robin makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if the tech. Oh, you cut out there, Nathan. Oh, but it what feels like a possibility. You? My bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're fine. All right, Rob. What <laughs> were you saying? Uh, I think Foot and Ass Girl would be an epic name. <laughs> foot and Ass Girl. Hell yeah. yeah. Just channel your inner red foreman. There you go. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. 
anyway, Chubb shows up and stands nearly even with um, her, uh, probably Robin, before she makes a quick escape. We're not done with Chubb, though, because her and Whitaker are with Batman now, and she's making it clear that he needs to get the masks under control, or she will. Uh, she walks away, and Whitaker starts talking mad shit to Batman about running from Gotham and from the dark crisis that's underway, which I find it, I find it, I always find it hilarious when characters know the name of the comic book event that we're reading. Anyway, um, <laughs> he starts, he, he's like, why do you call yourself Batman? And then he calls him a coward a few times. And I guess that's one of Jace's trigger words. He doesn't take it very well. He whips out his baton and then beats the holy living hell out of Whitaker before before Chubb shows up and stops him. She checks on Whitaker and uh, she says that he might not make it. Thing is, Whitaker's facing away from them and he's got glowing yellow eyes. This was a hell of a good issue. The art is always there on point. But this issue pulled me even fuller, even further into the story. More developments with Renee Montoya and what the hell is going on in New York City. I'm definitely happy with this book. No questions asked. 8.5 out of 10. Tell me what y'all thought. It's incredible. Um, what I remember six, seven months ago, I was saying this might be the best book I think DC's putting out right now. Um, and I do think a book beat, beat it this week um, that we'll talk about in just a second. But, like, this book is consistently very good. And it's not just, like, that the book... Like, it feels like older Batman. Like, it feels like traditional yes. classic Batman year one. The, like, stakes Street are very level low. Batman. Like, compare this to the Batman series right now, where we're fighting failsafe. Like, these two stories are night and day and difference in both, like, quality and who's competing or who the enemies are and what the themes are and this is just such so much more potent there's a line that this is when like this is the why like i love the story so much um jace asks if they did the right thing and montoya responds honestly the narrative people get sold about heroes is we come in at the last minute and save the day and maybe that's the truth for green superman green lantern but when you're fighting alien and often alien invasion and universal dictators Good and bad are black and white, easy and obvious. But when you're fighting bias, bigotry, and human nature, there's gray. Nothing but gray. And I hate to tell you this, but it only gets grayer. And I think that just says so well, like, what makes Batman work, you know, is it's dark, but you're dealing... And I think we've what John really does, he takes those themes of Batman and he applies them to the black experience and to themes that revolve around the black community in ways that are incredibly potent and powerful. And I think really elevate this book to doing things that make the Batman feel fresh. And so often the way that you make Batman feel fresh is power creep. You know, James Tinian, when he wrote uh, his Dark Designs, talks a lot about how heroes get stronger and stronger alongside their villains. And this is a hero who's new and whose villains are fairly new. And it feels like a traditional story, like a Batman story. And I think it really, really works. And I just am continually impressed by the series. Um, honestly, I think John Ridley should just become the new head of the Bat family because I think he gets it and what Bat- Batman is on a level that no one else is quite matching right now. 
that would be something else. I won't shit on what Zdarsky is doing because I absolutely love what's going on over in that title. But I couldn't agree with you more, man. Uh, the very first issue I thought was pretty kick-ass. I really liked it. Then the next couple, during his transition to New York City, they were a little iffy, but not bad. And everything since then has just been better and better. It's absolutely been a stellar title. I think Rob's on the same page as us, yeah? Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I agree with you there that the, the first story arc was interesting enough to keep me going, but not the greatest. But once he hit New York streets, the tone shift was immense, and it was such a, a great read after that. And it still is. Uh, it follows through Agreed. even to this issue. Since he hit New York, it's been a thrill ride ever since. And this issue it, um, does not slow that down. For everything you guys have already said, I don't think there's much more I can say. <laughs> it's it's just really good. Uh, Tam starting out, which has been kind of hinted at over the past few months as a hero, has been really good so far. The only thing that beats it is Jace's reaction to that photo, which <laughs> that, that threw me. That that had to make me stop and laugh. That was good. Uh, Eight point five out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> 8.5 out of 10, fair enough. 8.5, yeah. Alright, then I'm... For me. Right Sorry. on. He said it's a 9 for him. 9, nice one. Right, I so... waited a long time for this next one. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming, and I imagine it was also a long ride for Renee Montoya back to Gotham into her new book, the GCPD, The Blue Wall, which Nathan is going to tell us all about. Yeah. So, at a cadet graduation speech, Montoya gives an inspiring speech about the goals of police officers. Afterwards, she suffers from PTSD and sees the Two-Face when he's not there, and Montoya later that night doubts herself. Three cadets celebrate their graduation at a diner and agree to be there for each other. One new trainee is on their first mission and told that the suspect is a young black man in a red hoodie. Obviously very descriptive and definitely tells people how to identify the perpetrator. Um, seeing someone that fits the hyper-vague subscription, they chase him, thinking he might pull a gun. The cop, the new cadet, ends up not shooting, but like pulls out the gun, uh, but doesn't end up shooting. The police say this is an incredible act of restraint and parade her around as an example of a good cop. Because, you know, cynics, being cynical about cops is uh, something that writers do. And meanwhile, another rookie gets placed in the hardest neighborhood in the city, and other co-workers are racist to him, calling him words like a beanie. Another tries to do yep. good by talking with the people who are on parole, and at, a at the diner, the three cadets end up coming back, and, they and one of them has become a new celebrity, the one who like has been betrayed around, and she admits that she feels bad about all of this because in actuality she did want to kill the kid but just couldn't get him herself to pull the trigger later the next day there's a robbery and the cop fails with cameras watching um to stop the robbery oops and someone dies um i oh, just have oops. to say i think this is everything you could ask for for this kind of book um there's a lot of substance to it a lot of incredible thematics and when they announced they were doing a gcpd book i was very nervous I was like, I really trust John Ridley. 
but I've just say will say that I've seen a lot of cop books um, and like sort of like cop I, the terms one cop terms like copaganda, but like the bigger thing is like it's not super fun to like be glorif to glorify cops right now, and it's something I'm very hesitant with um, because there's a lot of difficulties and and a lot of conversation that is rightfully happening in the current world. And I wanted to see this book reflect some of that. And I was very nervous that with it being called GCBD, it wouldn't. Um, but I was very clearly wrong. I think it does everything right. There's both this, like, hope that exists, but also this, like, cynicism, right? Where things are, like, um, where people are trying to do their best, but the system that exists um, often pushes cops in certain paths. And a the police department that's run... Uh, that has a lot of like deep roots with it that are problematic um but i think it's what makes it so good is that this isn't a night and day this is good this is bad like look at these cops shining it's really just focused on what is like being this a cop and Gotham like and yep. seeing these people enter this world not knowing what's about to come their way and I genuinely think it's one of the best single issues DC has released in the last like couple of years. It's just so good. Uh, dude, this book, spinning out of Renee's time in New York City, obviously we told you that when we started this. Um, it's it, it's pulling it pulls these comics down to the real street level shit, man. Cops aren't superheroes. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets scared. Um, a complete lack of faith and you know in in non-recidivism uh, a complete lack of faith of inmates not going back to jail and it's 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 all things that are real it's all things like Nathan said that don't often make it to the forefront I mean like on Law and Order that shit <laughs> that's not how it usually goes man um but uh, top it all off, Renee's journey towards who knows what, as of now, that is. Hopefully, though, we will be seeing her doing double duty soon. That would be awesome. And the art is pretty damn good, too. This is a pretty freaking good setup issue. Um, this, I wouldn't call it stellar, not yet. But this could be the setup issue for a stellar series, for sure. Um, we'll have to wait and see, of course. I am definitely hoping for it. Ridley has really not missed for me yet. So uh, I got some faith in the guy and in the title. This gets an 8.5 out of 10 for me. Yeah, great first issue. Uh, the new characters are very well introduced, and there's fantastic art throughout. Renee Montoya has always been a favorite character of mine ever since BTOS with her introduction there. And having her translation into the comics and now the evolution this character has gone through from beat cop to detective to commissioner as they stated in this issue it has been a little i don't want to say fast paced but it's it's been a, a bit of a fast track and i'm happy about that it's it's a great transition for the character and i think a natural progression uh and i'm very curious to see how this will translate with her identity is the question going forward uh if the question will appear at all in this series part of me kind of hopes no i hope this this kind of stays as uh a very procedural cop show kind of deal 
which is really? very interesting to read in comic form. Yeah, I, I think we could do with a DC book that is not superhero centric, but still set in the superhero world. Like I just Gotham I, I Central, I, for example. I was always it, okay, a hit. so. I I I want the question. I want her as the question, but I want her as the question in this exact setting, in this exact world, written the way it is. I think I'm all for that. Gritty, just don't do it. This question book. could be cool. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, definitely have like a gritty Renee Montoya question title. Maybe even bring Vic Sage and have two questions because what's better than one question is two questions. You get double the answers. But well, did you know that there's a Batman villain called the Answer? Yeah, but it's never the right answer. <laughs> no, I you know, sometime go go look it up. It, it it's absolutely ridiculous. Oops, I wasn't to wasn't my ring he, tone off. didn't he have a, a rivalry with the Riddler or something? <laughs> it seems familiar to me. I don't know why. I don't know. I feel like that was something Tom King did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but for me. I think this is a 10. Like I said, uh, I think it's one of the best books DC's released. I think one of the reasons why it works so well is the writing is so natural. And as you were saying, mm-hmm. Rob, it's very it's very mundane in the sense that it's like very street level. And I think, like I was yeah. saying, one of the reasons why I think John Ridley should just take over as Batman is to me when I think of like what makes good Batman storytelling, this is it. And I think what this does better than anything else is it brings in that real-world conversation. And it brings Mm -hmm. in the real topics we deal with today and uses superheroes as a platform with which to explore those issues. And I think one of the biggest things that I constantly see from both Marvel, and for a long time I've seen from DC, but I still see it in various degrees, is this effort to not be political, to not lean into modern conversation, to try to write stories that are just like, oh, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy. And I think you really prevent comics from reaching like the next level. Because when you think about the comics that go down as these literary masterpieces, they're books that get to things like the human condition that talk about modern yeah, the late eighties and stuff. Late eighties and, and early nineties are chock full of it in the comics. Yeah. Even like the forties. Superman was busting up child mm-hmm. or busting up sex trafficking rings in like action comics number four. Like this is something that is at the core of what comics are is in a sense their commentary about where we are through the lens of this super heroic world and absolutely it's exciting uh, brandon see, it's uh, exciting brandon and i were writer. having a conversation before uh about how um growing up a little uh, away from most people and uh not around any comic book fans pretty sheltered religious upbringing um uh, it was comic books. It was Batman. It was Green Arrow that that helped expose me to the the real world that was around me, and that prevented me from going from twelve year old country kid to thirteen year old city kid and not having culture shock at all because I knew what the real world was out there. Um, a lot of people, I would say, share the same story basically Brandon did as well and and I'm sure many many other people out there do too comics I won't get preachy but that's why I get pissed off at the comics gate guys because it's like they're like they're trying to push this new modern agenda I'm like motherfucker they've been doing this shit forever where have you been 
It's not about a social agenda. You just don't, you just want every savior to be a fucking white Jesus. But end of rant. Anyway. Right, but I think like it's it's a willingness to engage in the conversation. It's willingness to say, hey, I want to do a book about the GCPD um, because I think there's a lot of interesting storytelling available here. Let's bring in topics like defund the police and what how like police might look at it and both like the negatives and positives of this discussion and let's bring in some of the systemic issues of police and let's talk about policing and let's talk about them and let's do so in a way that like changes perspectives and like is open and has conversation i wish dc did more of this kind of thing because i think even still they're hesitant like for example i remember the first issue of superman son of kal-el was like was said like i want to be the superman that fixes the 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 core problems not the symptoms um and then we kind of lost all of that as we went on the sort of like tangent that was gamora right where it wasn't really about the symptoms but like i think there's so much potential and just being willing to engage in core problems that are in a sense tougher to deal with than any one person in this world can like save like you know we have like these 60 second wars coming up right but like in a sense, like, that to me is less valuable than, it's fun, but it's less valuable than something as, like, nuanced and intricate as this. Um, and I, I, just think it's I won't standard. argue that with you at all. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if Ridley is able to dive that head first out that loudly about uh, true social commentary, that will make this book a revolutionary book. Um, definitely an and an, an, an entertaining book and potentially one of the best series in the year because of the way I know that he writes. I can that that's what gives me the confidence to say that. Mm. Not necessarily the message, you know. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna laud something just because I agree with what they're saying or not, but because of what the topic is, the way that it, the way that it's so street level, and what he's done with I Am Batman, hearing him, reading him. Uh, write, write that kind of real life story. I, 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 I'm, I can't help but imagine Twelve Years a Slave, um, and, and just that gritty honesty and having it be applied to the Blue Wall, and that that potential has me really excited. I don't know if there'll be allowed if he'll be allowed to to dive, you know, to to, to get that deep into it, but. I think it would be cool. I will say though, when you open with a with a warning, a content warning, I generally think it's a sign that there's a strong willingness to deal with the issues. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, definitely a trigger warning. Yeah. All right. One thing's for sure. I think this book is going to have a, a bright future ahead of it for sure. It's, it's going to go to some places that that most books don't. And it's just going to shine because of that. I and hopefully have a lot of people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, so I give this an 8.75 out of 10. It's, it's damn good. Indeed it was. All right. So that was the GCPD. And that's one set of heroes in Gotham. Uh, but now we're going to move on from our spotlight to a new section we're calling Quick Bites, which is going to be a couple of books that we'll talk about. Uh, in a little bit of a speedier fashion, not the Flash, I promise, 
but it is books that the plot is not too heavy that we can cover in just a little bit quicker and we're going from one gotham hero to another gotham hero with a metropolis hero and that's in batman superman world's finest number eight and i'll pass it over to josh all right well this one again is written by mark wade dan mora on our and cover Tamara Bonvillain on colors, and the lettering was by Steve Wands. So the key, an old JL villain, we are informed, has made everyone in Gotham afraid of doors and windows via chemical blanket over the city. Superman and the sidekick Boy Thunder, his new one, whose powers are heat-based, are called in by Batman and Robin, who are stuck in the Batcave. They fight against it neighbor, and are able to put a stop to the madness together, but they didn't find the key. At the end, we see that the key is working for, or at the very least with, the Joker. Uh, it's a fun read. Uh, it's a good story. I'm not sure how I feel about this continuing past the lead-in to Batman and Ro- Batman versus Robin. But just letting myself look past that, Mora's art is great, of course. And like I said, the story is a fun read. It's a fun story unimportant i would think because of the timeline but again real fun 7.5 out of 10 still one of my favorite reads i'm loving the art i'm loving the stories i still think keeping this in the past is a great choice it mixes well with the rest by not needing to hold itself to any other books in the continuity so you get Mm -hmm. a lot of fun and you're not being dragged down by what everyone else in batman and superman is doing right now so that, that that's I think a good placement and Boy Thunder has been a ride I'm hoping he can stay true to being a hero even though throughout the story they're starting to so, uh, show some shades of a villain poking through I'm hoping that I'm telling they don't you go he's wearing purple and green damn damn it <laughs> I'm telling you I told you God guys that the last it. time he's wearing no. purple and green Which purple is and green that he has colors, no but choice also Lex Luthers so exactly God. Damn it, John. <laughs> I like him, man. Damn it. It's still yeah, 9 out fun. of 10. Great read. Um, This reminds me of, you know, the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, yeah. One of the things that that does really well is Star Trek had gotten in the modern era very serialized. Every story was trying to be, every season was trying to be like this full, complete arc. And so many Star Trek fans said, no, this is this is too, like, this isn't what we're looking for when we read individual comics. We want, like, shorter, self-contained stories. And Strange New World said, let's give you back the, strange, the shorter one-episode stories, but let's also have some plot thread that goes from point A to point C, or where, like, right. like, every episode has some connection to the next. But generally speaking, they're individual one-off stories. And it was hugely successful. People adored it. Um, I think it's one of the best Star Trek things that that the new era has produced. I think it's pretty widely acclaimed. And if this reminds me a lot of that in a different way, this is very take the style of older comics that like nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties stuff, and let's infuse that with modern storytelling, right? Modern writing and storytelling tropes, and find a way to do to bring like that classic energy back into the universe and when i first started i was very hesitant because you know i'm not 
generally when DC's writers try to go golden age or like those kinds of stories, it doesn't quite feel incredible because um, I think the writing and time period don't fully work. But when you right. see like really good writers tackle it, I think, you know, and take that sort of Wolfman era, right? But bring in their own writing skills and modern sort of writing and language that's used. I think you create a really incredible story where, you know, there's short moments where like Supergirl has a talk with Boy Thunder about, you know, what it means to be a sidekick and like mm-hmm. the pressures that she faces and, you know, and you see like Boy Thunder like find himself and it's a sh- fairly short issue in terms of like actual substance for like the mac- macro plot. But what it's but it's a really great single issue um, that like keeps the story the general thread going while giving you like a great one one issue story. And I wish comics took lessons from this because I think there's something really great about the way this like story feels both like self-contained in many ways, but also has some valuable substance. That's like great. And I you, I just you really know what I've you, other TV programs that I can think of that have been doing that that are pretty popular um one hugely more than the other but uh the orville has has been employing that tactic um and doing so really well and then of course uh stranger things stranger things did that um for the last hell two seasons i think where they left it to where that could have just been it the the what are their names the duffler brothers or whatever I I, uh, I saw that they they did that intentionally because they had no idea that they were coming back. So, um, but it it is a it is a a smart plan. It it is a good idea to do that. It seems to work in the most popular things. So why not? Yeah. All right. What's it up is, next? It's a thing that works. Yeah. Uh, so we are going from one set of world's finest to a younger set of world's finest plus more uh we're looking at dark crisis young justice number five and it's now my turn to talk about a book uh so this is written by megan fitzmartin with art from laura braga colors from Luis guerrero and letters from josh reed with a cover from max dunbar and Luis guerrero so picking up where we left off last issue mickey mixes pitlick has revealed himself to our fated heroes and is standing along with the fake wonder girl uh, he's got the trio in another trap uh, as they once again communicate to each other, trying to save each other out of it as he goes on about how they are his true heroes and he hates what's happened to their lives and how other heroes are taking their place instead of them uh, taking the mantles that they rightfully deserve as the next generation. Uh, they eventually start to break out of it thanks to some machinations of speed with impulse and are then found by none other than Arrowettes, Red Tornado, and Wonder Girl. And together, the six of them take the fight to Mixie's Mix, Mickey Mixie's Pitalik. What a mouthful. Uh, once again to, <laughs> to fight him, but he proves to be a little too strong for the sextuplet. The, the team. I'll say the team. Um, and once again, Bart uses some speed force tactics along with the help of Red Tornado and Connor and bust out of the dimension bubble that Mickey has them trapped in and they make it back to the real world yet Mickey follows them back and uh, says rather ominously you can't get rid of me that easily well, that's where we finish off 
to lead into the final issue next time with number six and see where this leaves our, our uh, fabled heroes once more that being said i can't wait for this to end i i, I didn't hate the issue it was it was it was a lot of it was basically just one big fight but there was a lot of subtext i get the subtext and i i'm probably wrong about this just how i took the subtext it's talking a lot about the toxic fan base complaining about all the new characters um and you know, you see it all the time there's a lot of uh, news outlets and people online complaining about all the the there's some are, are complaining about the diversity but there's others that are just complaining about the fact that there's so many new people yet we got two or three waves of new people already why are we talking about them i i just feel like the take feels a little off um because if this is just a jab at the fans of the young justice era characters saying where's my tim connor and bart stories uh like brandon and i have been saying and i, I think josh you said there's a lot of people that just innocently want more stories with these characters this is we we don't want them to replace anyone we just want these characters to be seen you know we want them around uh but we still love you know john and laura and jace and everybody we still love all of them um but if it's a jab with the, the toxic fan base i get that it's just i don't know that that's what this story needed right now i don't know maybe that's just me um yeah yeah i don't know this this one was hard to to think about not in a bad way i just i don't know what to think about it this one i mean uh i gave it a 5.5 out of 10 it it was an interesting fight i think it might have been the better issue so far because yeah. we didn't just get the, the trio complaining about each other the whole time <laughs> I don't know. this, I don't know. this, this is easily the best issue out of the whole run but I and I say that hands down it really is but uh, like you I just I haven't been impressed with the series um, and that sucks considering the characters that are inside because like you mentioned I am a fan of those guys getting together every once in a while I would like to see a Young Justice book or these guys on the Titans something um, the art was mostly good uh, the whole thing just kind of fell flat for me though and that's uh, that's without all the inconsistencies that I can usually count Brandon on pointing out every single time we review this book. <laughs> um, okay, but, I guess but, I'm going to push back a little bit. Um, I think it. one of the struggles this book has is it tries to do something really interesting with meta-narrative and sort of basically bring the conversation that people have into the story and this idea of not necessarily like replacement but this generation that's sort of been looked over you know the generation that's like the original teen titans is still gets some coverage but then you've got like this era with tim drake and connor where a lot of them did not hadn't have not gotten a lot of love over the last six seven years and with the exception sort of of tim drake but even then tim drake was missing from a lot of uh rebirth yeah. right and I think this book doesn't always succeed in the meta narrative it's trying to talk about. Um, but I do think it's generally pretty decent. Like, it, like I think like this is the struggle, right? I think it's meta narrative and what it's trying to go for is really cool. I think sometimes Brandon's pointing out there's some inaccuracies with the text um, and continuity flubs. But I think generally, like I genuinely like enjoyed the series. I really don't understand some of the hate. 
Like, I do think this book makes some mistakes. I do think this book falls a little short of what it's trying to do. But I think it's trying to be ambitious. I think it's trying to write a nine in terms of, like, depth and content and stuff, substance. Mm -hmm. And it lands at around a seven, you know, where it it loses points for poor execution of some of those goals. But I I think it's generally been pretty decent. Um, You know, I do like seeing all three of the the trio together. Um, I do think that Mrs. Pitalik stuff has been kind of fun. Um, The stuff with the sound wave stuff and the reintroduction of who's the new character, not new character, but the person who was with uh, Cassie on their journey to try to get into... Yeah. Like, bringing her back is, like, interesting and valuable and exciting. And I think this book does find some success in all those areas. I think the biggest problem, as I said, is that it just is, it's like trying to do, to be too much without like the substance fully there and the execution fully there. But it's a seven for me. I think it's, this series has been pretty consistently good. And I just, I just Um, just disagree with some of your takes. No, that's fair Fair enough. Yeah. I, 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 I did the, give the biggest... this one higher than anyone else that I gave. I gave it a 6.5. You guys are so mean to this book. <laughs> I don't get it. It's, no, honestly, there's it's, just it's something for... about the way Megan Fitzmartin writes that I'm just not a fan of. Yeah, I, I have This is Fitzmartin, I don't dislike it? everything. Yeah, it's Megan Fitzmartin. I, I don't dislike everything Megan Fitzmartin has written. I, I've enjoyed a lot of a lot of their stuff in the past. Um, yeah, I don't hate just, everything. Uh, the but... Tim Drake stuff is kind of missing the mark for me so far. Between this and and Tim Drake Robin, it's just not been the most terrific stuff <laughs> that I've enjoyed. Like or, or the the stuff uh, that was in Urban Legends, I really enjoyed. I think it was in Urban Legends. Yeah, and that yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And then this story, this yeah. follow up is just kind of fallen off for me. Uh, I think the biggest tell for me is where this will go forward um like where these characters are going to end up next uh if megan has uh, a next chapter in store for these characters that they all six of them as a team or if uh the uh, if she'll leave it open for someone else to pick up uh, if young justice is going to exist once issue six comes and leaves uh, i think that's going to be the biggest tell for me because if if we like with bendis bring in young justice back if we get this small portion and then it ends and then that's it it's uh, just gonna hate it again because <laughs> i i i love young justice i love the I, I i agree with you there i love having the trio together and having all the characters back i just want them to stick around a little longer you know i don't want it Agreed. to be just tied to dark crisis i want to see these characters flourish and go on adventures together and exactly what they've been conveying with the plot is they they don't hang out anymore so let's make that happen. I, I, I hope they, they can continue after this. And I actually did miss a note from before. I find Mickey makes his pit look kind of dull, but he's out there in a way that I think only he could make this plot work. So I think there is something there. I think the point of there. him being included and Wonderbreast, I can't remember what her real name is, but they're, they're forgotten villains from the same era. But, yeah. Uh, if if we do get a Young Justice book in the very first issue, I want there to be at least three jokes making fun of the fact that he used to go by Drake, and then I never want it mentioned again. 
Yeah. Well, I, I will say this with the Megan Fitzmartin stories. I think generally she's doing something I think is really valuable. Um, having, being able to finally get sort of this side of Tim Drake told, you know, fans have been talking about it for a long time. Saying, oh, definitely oh, not arguing with Batman. You know, yeah. like there's a lot of fans who've been saying it for a long time. It's exciting to see it. Years. I think the <laughs> urban legend story was pretty good. I think the Tim Drake Robin series is plagued by a rough choice in artist and sort of a rough yeah. choice in terms of the what like the writer chose to do with this like literary story with light on hard light and all of that stuff. I think it's been very it was an interesting choice, right? And I think one yeah, of the struggles is, I feel like both instances are examples with Megan Fitzmartin being a good writer, making bad choices with what to tell, with what, like, arc to go with. You know, like, anyone who's on writing yeah. knows that sometimes you have, like, the right ideas. But if you choose, like, the right arc and storyline, your writing shines. And if you choose, like, the wrong arc and storyline, everything feels like it falls apart. Right? And I think right. this is an example where she's just picking the wrong story like ideas to write um and that if she when she like figures out which storyline she wants to tell and like she writes some good ones i think we'll really enjoy i really enjoy her writing when she picks let's send them into like a mirror dimension that's like run by mikey pit mrs Pitalik. it's like okay this was a weird choice that works okay but i feel like if you had chosen some other story this could have worked a lot better you know I think yeah, that's sort of my sure. perception. It's just weird choices. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I'm I said, like, you guys are a little harsh on it. Like Tim, Tim Drake Robin feels like it, like the plot was kind of pulled out of a Mad Libs. Like, <laughs> like the the setting and and story beats were kind of just the blanks, and then you pull a name, and they pull a word Gotham out of a hat, Marina, and there it is. Like obviously, but that's so weird. <laughs> right. Like, like know, so he's living choice, in like blank. He's living in okay. He's living in a marina, and he's going to solve a crime about classic literature, and he's going to have a friend from We Are Robin. Like, why? <laughs> it why just not? feels so so random. Like all of it weird is just so choices. random. I don't know. Yeah, like, sure. you're right on there. Uh, so Meanwhile, speaking of Ridley's making all the right choices, you know, is yeah, the difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, exactly. Sorry. All right. Um, I was gonna do a transition, but I think we will take a quick commercial break because we're at about that halfway point, and we will be right back, folks. Now back to our program. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for sticking with Not a Robots. Uh, so picking up where I left off, I actually had a good transition for this one. I hope it's good. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, like you mentioned, Josh, Robbins with dumb monikers from the past, our next book is Nightwing number 97. Yeah. And this <laughs> is... Boy, oh boy, yeah, oh boy. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> so this is written by Tom Taylor with art for Bruno Redondo. Pencils and inks on pages 8 through 16 from Gerald Borges, uh, and inks in the rest of the book from Caio Felipe, with colors from Adriano Lucas throughout, and letters from Wes Abbott. So we are back in Bloodhaven. Now the brain is not here, we can finally just agree it's Bloodhaven. There's Thank you. Umlauts. Thank you. What? Wait, Nathan. Nathan, what do you do? You say Bloodhaven, or are you one of those? I've always said Bloodhaven. I, honestly, like everybody umlaut. did. It's I, I used to say Bloodhaven as well until I realized there was no more. And it's Bloodhaven. Okay, even if it's blue, they don't care. I've said it for too long as Bloodhaven. I'm not changing it. 
until like someone goes in depth and gives me an explanation as to why it's Blue Haven, and then I watch like a TV show or something where they just call it Blue Haven instead of Blood Haven. Um, until there, then, there might have I'm there's not probably anything. like a random issue of Nightwing somewhere that explains the umlauts, but like there the, there is I, oh, I wish I could remember what issue it is, but um, there is an issue where uh, Nightwing points it out that it's supposed to be pronounced Blue Haven. I'm gonna have to look that up so I can share that on the Discord. But hey, that, that I think yeah happen. that that happened in in this in this run I think. But did they explain why or did they just oh, say why? Just because it's yeah. the name. I mean, okay, yeah. so I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken, Blood is German for blood. So yeah, it's but why did they go Haven. with why did an American town go with a German name? That's, <laughs> that's I mean, actually there's, a good question. There's <laughs> loads of that. I mean, we have Danish names, German. German names, Native yeah, American names for cities. <laughs> like, okay. a lot of cities in this country are built around, are named around the group of people who ended up creating that area or first settling those oh, areas. Fair enough. Right? I was like, actually going to say, there's a lot of, uh, lot of areas in my, my area are named after uh, British areas. Yeah, I mean, why is New yeah. York named after York? You know? Yeah. Like, well, not, what's so go. great about Old York? So yeah, exactly yeah, right, so <laughs> and like in in California, a lot of cities are named after Spanish or Spanish names: Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Andreas, San Jose. So, so there you go. like it's like this is just normal. Blue it's Haven. like normal for America. That's not like a yeah. weird part. Okay, fair enough. Then yeah, let me know. Germany. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that, that always divides people between people who are like very, very, very grammar oriented. Like, okay, no, there's new blood. Yeah, I'm going to do this. And those people are like, I've been saying Bloodhaven forever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, yep. There's only two there's types of people. There's not an in between. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, we are back in Bloodhaven uh, where Boss Maroney is in a bit of trouble. After having done some work with Blockbuster, he is being interrogated by the police, uh, which includes uh, new commissioner Maggie Sawyer. Uh, meanwhile, Nightwing and his sister, whose name escapes me. Oh my god. Why? I know it's here somewhere. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I can't, uh, I can't remember. Damn it. Oh my god. Why can't I remember? That's so bad. Alia oh, keeps popping up in my head, and I know that's not right. Oh, but no. Nathan, do you know what her name is? No? No? Nathan? I guess that's a no, Nathan. What, what's the question? Sorry, I was occupied. Uh, sorry, Night, Nightwing's sister. <laughs> we can't remember her name. Uh, I want to say it's like Maria, but don't quote me on that. Uh, or Marissa. Marissa. Is it Marissa? Okay, I'm just gonna. Uh, I'll look it up. Let's just call her Marissa. She's uh, Marissa Melinda, from now. Yeah. Melinda. Melinda. Yeah, I needed was an M. Okay. Yeah, okay. Weird Melinda name. That's it. Yeah. The point That's is, I thought it that was Judy. didn't matter because her name doesn't even come up. So, <laughs> Melinda and Nightwing are standing over Blockbuster's uh, dead, deceased corpse uh, with a giant hole in it, which actually leads to a very Ooh. interesting cut for the title card. Uh, where you see Nightwing's face 
from the inside of the hole. It's a choice. I like it. It's a choice, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, so we it cut worked. back to the interrogation where Maggie Sawyer plays her big trump card and drops a file in front of uh, Boss Maroney, detailing all the goings on he had with Blockbuster. Blockbuster kept a very detailed, hefty file about all of their goings on and everybody that was involved. So if this were to. Uh, wink wink get out uh, a lot of people would wink wink be unhappy and maybe wink wink try to okay no wink just try to kill him uh, so he decides wink, wink. maybe he's going to cooperate but can he be promised protection and uh, almost as if on cue that's when Maggie calls in her partner on this uh, Gotham City Police Commissioner Renee Montoya making her second appearance this week I uh, know wait third appearance this week in she's a busy Batman. girl oh yeah uh in quite a good looking suit i must admit that that's a good looking suit on renee uh i i think i actually prefer this suit over the, the suit we saw in the other issues <laughs> um yeah so renee has promised boss maroney that uh she will escort him to gotham and keep him alive there to which he says how are you going to keep me alive in gotham it's gotham and she says we keep criminals alive and he says, how do you know that she says the joker still breathing which is honestly a good point fair uh, point yeah very fair point <laughs> uh so we cut back to melinda and nightwing uh on a rooftop uh talking about how maroney is being escorted back to gotham and half they know that it means it's going to leak out to the criminal underworld and he is going to have a hit out on him so Nightwing goes straight to Babs, and they agree to go and help with the escort, uh, complete with with a horrible joke from Babs. Uh, yeah, as as Dick says, Babs, there's a man stealing hearts out there, and Barbara goes, but there's a man who's stolen my heart right here, which is a moment straight out of my own heart. I, it's that's perfect. My goodness, goddamn awful. But so I did love that part. It's super cheese. Yeah yeah it was like it, yeah extra pizza well. extra cheese on the pizza with extra parmesan yeah. and some shredded cheese yeah. on top of that and then easy yeah. cheese it's <laughs> mac and cheese with extra cheese in it yeah. yes <laughs> okay so oh god cheese stuffed it's got to be cheese stuffed yes so we now cut to the transport is en route to Gotham City, and to the surprise of no one, uh, it's being hijacked. Uh, cop cars are being, uh, cop cars and motorcycles are being run off the road by a giant Mack truck, which actually broke through the barricade from the other side of the highway, and runs the armored truck onto its side. Uh, the police, including Renee Montoya, get out and engage in a gunfight with the, the men from the truck. Uh, as it turns out, one of Montoya's officers is actually there to try and kill uh, Maroney, but Nightwing arrives with Batgirl just in time to hit him in the head with an Escrima stick and save Boss Maroney's life, and the pair take out the rogue cops that are trying to kill him. Uh, and then they promise Montoya that they can take care of Maroney, keep him safe and, and hidden for a few days while the heat dies down, and Montoya agrees to this. And we will meet on Monday, uh, following week, 
to pick him up. So the trio on their two motorcycles head off into the woods where Nightwing doubles back and takes care of the armed uh, hitmen that are trailing them. Since they're in a forest just north of Gotham City, he knows his way around very well and has lots of cover to hide in. After taking out the uh, enforcers, he heads off to one of Bruce's many bunkers hidden in this forest that they know of. There may be many more where they have Maroni tied up and try to settle in for the night. Nightwing gives him a tranquilizer that'll keep him out for a few hours while Barbara and Dick finally get some alone time to each other in a romantic getaway in a bunker in the woods. How cute. Uh, they wake up the next morning having had a fun-filled evening of all sorts of physical activity. Yet Boss Maroney said, look, your tranquilizer will last three hours, and this place has thin ceilings. I know what you were doing. Come on now. Which he, he <laughs> never thought about the idea that superheroes would be in relationships. To which Barbara replies, you must not spend much time on the internet. <laughs> Ain't yeah, that the truth? That's, okay. that's so true. So true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's full-on flame wars about that stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, so then they uh, try to contemplate their next move and settle in for another two days of just hiding out in the forest uh, when Barbara says, wait, there's a taxi outside. There's not even any roads around. How's this happening? And as Dick gets closer to the taxi, a uh, man in the driver's seat sticks his head out the window and says, hey, Nightwing, my name is Rick Grayson. I need you to get in a cab. And that's when I officially was done. Well, so was the comic. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it was, it was kind of convenient, really. Yeah. So <laughs> I I'm not against this yet because I just want to know huh? How what? Keska fuck. Yeah. Keska uh, fuck. <laughs> you know? I, I just I I want I hate like every other Nightwing fan in existence. Hate Rick Grayson with a passion. But I wanna know more. <laughs> How is this happening right now? What psychic or multiversal or cloning machinations is is nightwing getting his own clone saga now like what's happening I, I i need to know but apart from that it was great um love the rest of the issue it's the same nightwing fun we've come to expect now coupled with a lot of cute dick bebs moments uh that just together make a great issue it was a lot of fun great art throughout as is the case from Bruno Redondo, with fantastic colors and inks um, from everybody involved. Um, yeah, 8.75 out of 10. It's it's just another fantastic issue. Rick Grayson aside, uh, I, I need to point out, though, and I don't know if this has always been the case, but, but the scar on Rick's head, uh, I don't know if, if this is just Redondo doing this or if this is always the case, it's kind of in the shape of the Nightwing logo. I didn't that recognize kind of that or or or, or I feel check like that out. It's always been in the shape of the Nightwing logo, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I I, I feel yeah. like you're like that's the case. Like you're right, and that it was. But a part of me is also thinking it was just like a straight line. I can't remember. It it's a really weird shape for a bullet to take, though. Well, I guess so. Here's my sort of thoughts on this issue. I think it felt very fillery. Um, you know, last issue was a huge bombastic, and this was sort of fallout of it. Um, I didn't really feel like I cared much about the person they were protecting. Um, the cops sort of trying to kill him and all of that stuff was very um, fine, I guess. Um, it was more just like set up for great art, which I mean, sometimes those really work in comics where it's just a premise that's designed to highlight the art. I think Nightwing in particular has a lot of that. 
But I think it's a problem I continually feel with the Nightwing series. I feel like there's not a ton of substance. Like, it's a good story, not a ton of substance to what happens. Um, in terms of, like, what's it trying to say, right? Like, what themes are, is it going for? What ideas is it trying to have you, the readers have to come away with? Um, so I've been kind of starting to feel especially a little lukewarm on the series. Um, but I will say, um, I do think it's about time. Like I, I, let me rephrase it. I don't mind them trying to deal with the brick race and stuff and sort of do a retcon-y sort of thing. Um, if we retcon that thing to be something else entirely that we can forget about and never talk about again, like, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, I'll never need it again. Um, I'm a little frustrated that the Dick Babs relationship doesn't seem to be progressing much further. It just kind of had been at a standstill. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd like yeah, to see a little more nuance and things happen. Like, let's see these characters progress forward. You know, when you guys were saying you guys didn't know the name of Melinda Zakbo, it was like, it said to me everything I need to know about, yeah, they haven't done a great job giving the cast the, like, room to develop and say who they are. Like, I compare this series to, like, I Am Batman, where it's like, I know so much about Jace and his complex relationships and his values and all this stuff, and I feel like I don't get any of that from this Nightwing book. And it's a good series, good action, good fan service, but where's the substance? Where's the character? The thing that I I have noticed um, with with this book and in general the way that Tom Taylor writes, uh, he is a seed planter. And um, he he, he drops seeds for the next arc in in everything that he does. And um, he he does that and he is a he's more of a slower person paced um very slow more of a slower paced writer uh so um i i don't mind it i guess i guess what it is is it's it's up to your uh up to your particular taste but i enjoyed it man that i just why rick grayson why is he coming back everything else is everything else was good for a wind up issue um, Rick Grayson and 11 question marks is what I have written down for my notes on this 8 out of 10 Yeah, I, I was I saying the same thing as you Nathan a few months ago mm-hmm. that it's, yeah. I, I, I was saying I don't remember what issue it was but just as much as I'm enjoying the series there's a lot of this just feels like it's just stalling and yeah. like it's it's taking forever to get to the point of the story that like he'd been doing mm-hmm. the series for like 11 or 12 issues at the time and almost no plot had progressed at that time yeah. and it's it's the same thing here we finally got through the blockbuster arc but then we still have to get to heartless and that's i think that's so heartless is just the season-long villain if you think of it like like the like like buffy for example as an old uh show with that archetype you have the season-long villain and then you have uh mini arcs with different episodes with other villains blockbuster is just one of those mini villains he's the, the mid boss where we're Heartless is the season yeah. villain, but it's just taking so damn long. We don't need a season villain. We just need <laughs> villain right. after villain. That's I, I that's do feel thing. like we got. Thing, right? I do feel like we got a a, a development, a character development, uh, of of Nightwing, like a further cementing of who he is and what he stands for, especially for people who are just now getting into comics to find out why he is such a big deal when he's not ever mentioned in you know in the in the 
big names when people bring it up, you know, Aquaman, yeah. Flash, Batman, Superman. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate that about this, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any problems with it so far. I, I don't mind, I don't mind his pacing there. Yeah, my only thing, and like I said, is I think when I look through the series, nineteen issues in, I say what's happened, and there's a lot of like good like one off stories, but like I don't feel like the arc has felt substantial. And I was enjoying it at the beginning, and then as it's kept going, I keep saying, you know, I just keep starting to feel like this arc, like the story just is missing, like, some of the core themes. It's missing some of the great pacing. It's missing, I think, a lot of substance. And it's a lot of great filler issues. Great filler issues! Great writing! But I'm starting to be like, but what else is there? Um, and this is, this is more of a minor critique at the moment than a major one. But six issues later, if I'm still having this critique, it's going to start becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Um, anyway, Fair for enough. me, it's a seven. Good filler issue. Moving on. All right. Um, Nathan does have a hard out here coming up pretty soon. And as it would stand, the next issue has no problem getting a little fast. Uh, the Flash 787, written by Jeremy Adams, pencils from... Fernando Passarin, inks Matt Ryan, colors Jeremy Cox, letters from Rob Lee, and Torin Clark did the cover. The issue opens up with Wally racing the fastest he ever has as a father. Irie and Jay are pulling him in a million different directions, and man, can I relate to that. Rob, you are going to. These opening pages were like reading a page from my weekend mornings. While fighting over what they are going to watch, the channel flips to Wham! Wrestling across the multiverse, and yes, it's a wrestling TV show just like WWE. The match that is on is between Pow Tower, a, domin a domino mask dude dressed like in a military uniform, and Kriegmeister 10, a name that sounds like it came from Archer, and uh, he's a savage dragon knockoff. Uh, this wrestling deal, the matches, they take place in locations across the multiverse. They just instantly transport there. This one just so happened to land smack dab in the middle of downtown. Flash responds quick as lightning and sees one of the fighters knocked down while the other one gloats. He checks the, Kri the Kriegmeister 10 for a heartbeat and starts doing compressions. Not even sure if the guy has a heart. Uh, while the pin count takes place, and that makes him the new Wham! Wrestling Champion. Across the multiverse, that is, by default, which, of course, Wally has no interest in. The other wrestler gets pissed and tackles Flash, knocking him into a car, and then another guy shows up, and Omega Bam Man, a big-ass purple dude in a Macho Man sunglasses, disco wing robe, porno mustache, and a bright red mullet from hell. Uh, wrestling ensues. A tag team. I mean, I'm telling you that is that not exactly what that was? It's classic eighties wrestling. <laughs> a tag team match starts, and the Flash ends up making that pin as well. And while the whole multiverse watched, uh, and then he got to go home without any incident or horrible setup. One hundred percent filler issue, but it is such a fun issue, and it's so good to see Wally get a breather, man. Sarah and Ryan and Cox really pulled the art and I just I I, I reckon I, I highly recommend this as a one off read. I had a I had a really good time with this one and I gave it an uh a nine out of ten. 
Yep, I think filler's the right word. Um, it's a good filler issue. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of 80s art, of the 80s art style, and so I thought this was kind of a mess art-wise. Um, I think in particular Wally doesn't look like Wally, but that's the, I'm not a big art critic, I just don't particularly love the 80s art style feel. Um, but I thought it was a fun issue, very fillery. I don't really have anything more to say about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Rob, is what your do, review you score is your comments just as fast as that? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's for me that this was the best. <laughs> I think we need more of these issues. <laughs> I've I've been no uh, stranger to enjoying filler issues and filler episodes. To me, they've always been sometimes some of the best ones because they're not held down by an overarching story or a seasoned plot. They're just a one-off. They can be as fun as they need to be, and that's what I love to read, uh, as fun and as different as, as they want, and that sometimes you get issues like this that are just gems in in, in the in the stone, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's pure fun and excitement. I think the art is, is amazing, especially with the expressions, and Family Man Wally is such a terrific speed for him. And throwing in some recognizable characters in there. You had uh, the Faceless Man, I think his name is, and uh, Maul from Wildstorm uh, as a tag team. Excellent. Chef's kiss. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, 9.75 out of 10 for me. And, and, and honestly, Josh, I'm already starting to feel it. Haley's teething right now. And this week, she has been keeping me up late every night. <laughs> oh, so but I'm, the trials have there. just begun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was The Flash, at, and in true fashion, was a very speedy review, and we are going to jump on over to Catwoman, where Nathan is going to tell us all about Selena Kyle now. Yes, I am. So, of course, Dario has been captured, and with him kidnapped, Selena and Valmont go to the ancestral home of the Tomasos to try to convince the, fam- the head of the family, Don Lorenzo, that they should force the Don's hand in Gotham and save Dario. While they decide to wait a day to chat, Black Mask steals Dario to get back at Catwoman. Back in the ancestral home, Selena's impatient, and the duo breaks into their home. Convince- convincing the Don's wife to make a call, Selena and Valmont make a call and take a plane back, but the only plane available is flown by killer assassins. Makes so much sense, obviously. Um, it obviously. turns out these killer assassins are connected to Valmont's past. A group of the League of Assassins, who's like an offshoot, who's like even more culty than the the normal League of Assassins, um, and they all wear that like the what Valmont basically wears, but in black. Um, and of course, everything goes wrong, and Valmont confesses his love for Selena before the duo take a parachute off the plane and kiss. Um, Honestly, I mean, take a plane flown by terrorists or the Red Eye. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean. What I'll say is it's a fine issue. Um, doesn't like I don't I don't know. I feel like basically like to be honest, like I have I've been very loosely following Catwoman. Um, I probably I think I missed an issue or two along the way, um, and I don't really feel like anything's changed. Um, I feel like we're in the same plot point we were in like a little like two issues ago where Black Mask was still angry at Catwoman, um, and I just wish we uh, sped up some of the plot a little bit. I don't really understand why we're starting to move so slowly, but it's a good issue. Um, I like Catwoman. I think this, like, I think Tina Howard's done a pretty good job writing it, the series as a whole. But this this issue was fine, I guess. 
But there was a important. little bit of a side story, like a two-issue side story, where yeah. her and Harley went on a, a road yeah. trip, and then there was... Wait, some... that was fun, though. I enjoyed that. Yeah. This was a little yeah. less so. This was more, what are we really doing here? But, like, it was, it was Valmont. Fine. We're doing Valmont. Well, How are you guys feeling about Valmont? I like him? Dislike him? <laughs> where are you guys at? I... I, I, I like he's him. so boring and and just in the way and very one dimensional and uh, there's just something off about him uh, yeah. besides the stuff I just mentioned that I can't quite place and I just I don't like him and we already talked about shipping and like I'm all a bad cat stand that's, that's that's me so anybody that gets in the way of that relationship is bad in my books. Well, I mean, the I love it when just... it happens, yeah. but it <clears throat> doesn't have to happen. And right. I like seeing Catwoman having these conflicted feelings. I kind of like Valmont. He he feels he feels like a uh, a much more he feels like a ghost maker that smokes a lot of weed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like yes. he's a super assassin, but he's way chilled out, man. <laughs> yeah, but, I think um, the biggest thing is I want to know what his feel is. Like, why should I care about him as a character? And I continue yeah. not to get any of that. And for a little bit, some of the mystery was cool. I like some of the gender ambiguity. That was kind of cool. But by this point, it's like, if I don't know him, like, why should I keep caring? And I feel Fair like enough. that's where we're at. And I feel like they gave that, us a little bit of it. that, but nowhere near enough. You know, like, what makes him interesting? You know, That might be that's... what I'm feeling off about him. Like, we, yeah. we haven't really gotten much. This might be, in this issue, the most backstory we've had from him. And it really doesn't give us much. Fair enough. So we're exactly. still just in the dark about this character. And it's been like what seven issues now since he's she took first over with like thirty nine or forty. Was that so. thirty nine? I thought uh, yeah. No, it might have been earlier. It might have been like thirty seven. Like she's been at it for over a year now. Has it been that long? Holy crap! I think so. <laughs> wasn't Ram's last issue thirty seven. Uh, yeah, Nathan, you're really you're really close. 30s. This would be a year. I, you're really I think, close. She might have taken over thirty nine. It was in that area though. We're in the we're in the right ballpark though. So, right. It's, and yeah, just, it's, it's been a while. For me, it's been close to ten <laughs> issues, and we haven't had much character development for Valmont. And I'm both okay with that, and not okay with that, because I don't like Valmont, so I don't really care if he has character development. But at the same time, I want to care about Valmont, so you need to have some character development. I'm uh, looking at him like Catwoman's sidekick, and I I'm I guess I'm kind of okay with that. What a sweet ass cover, dude! Yeah, and uh, oh, they're always been good covers. Yeah, so gorgeous. And um, unlike you two, I think the rest of the issue is too. I am digging this Catwoman book. I freaking love it. The art is great to look at, as it has been. Um, this story, though, it did have a bit of a small rough patch. Is for me absolutely awesome. Every month, I look forward to the next one. I gave this a nine out of ten. Yeah, I, I love the rest of the issue. I just don't like Valmont. And I think if Valmont was not part of the story, I'd enjoy it a lot more. And it would get a 9 out of 10. But until then, with the art and the plot and the covers exceptionally, and if you're going to have a sidekick with Catwoman at this point, it's got to be Dario. Uh, I gave it an 8.75 <laughs> out of 10. It's a 7 for me. I'm sorry. I just, it's just, it's not the story needs to move forward a little bit. Um, yeah. And I'm not feeling Belmont. And at some point, you have to make this relationship. We care about the relationship, right? 
Yeah. See, I guess yeah, I'm more okay with. Thing. I'm more okay with a slower pace book. It's like uh, one. I, I've mentioned it several times on the podcast. One of my favorite books of the last five or so years is probably Blue and Green. And um, I mean, you got to be okay with a slow paced book to enjoy that. Speaking of something that's not slow, like going the yeah. exact opposite or even oh, beyond yeah. that. Oh, no, waste way, like time is paused. <laughs> that kind of slow. <laughs> yeah, it is Flashpoint Beyond number six, our last book of the week. And this is co-written with Jeff Johns, Jeremy Adams, and Tim Sheridan, and co-arted by Zermanico, Mikhail Yanin, and Gary Frank, with co-colored, uh, co- uh, I'm just going to speak normally, it's colored by three people, Romulo Fajardo Jr., Jordi Belair, and Brad Anderson, with their respective pages, with letters from Rob Lee throughout, and a wonderful cover from Mish Gerads. And what a cover it is. Uh, so we are picking up where we left off. Uh, yeah, I think exactly where we left off. Rip Hunter has appeared in the Bat Cave, uh, where Corky is still with Bruce, <clears throat> and he is there to stop Bruce from making a grave mistake that threatens all of Hypertime and the multiverse in general, while trying to save his father. As he explains, uh, the Flashpoint universe has been trapped inside the snow globe. We finally get answers about what exactly the hell is going on. Um, and Bruce just doesn't give a shit about any of that. He just wants to save his father and trap the universe in the snow globe so it survives. And Rip is saying, you can't do that because if you do, it threatens all of existence. And I've seen the two ways this happens and neither of them are good. Uh, then we jump into Inside the Flashpoint where we saw uh, Thomas and Martha left off with a time sphere where Martha is saying, look, we can go back, we can save Bruce, just join me, uh, as Thomas contemplates it, and then the two share a kiss, uh, to which then Thomas realizes, no, uh, that's not good, uh, we can't do that, you're, you're a criminal, you've murdered people, you've murdered my employees, you murdered Barry Allen, and, and Martha, before she can go too far onto her, her spiel about how nothing matters here, because, as they both know, it shouldn't exist, Mrs. Dent, I don't remember her first name, appears. The Flashpoint Two Face appears with her son, the new Robin, uh, with a gun pointed to his head because she's gone full psycho. Uh, They then mother of a year old. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, We now cut back to the bad cave with more Rip Hunter and Bruce uh, having a fight. Uh, Bruce throws a batarang, but. Rip has, uh, you know, far superior technology and disintegrates it, I assume, through some kind of time manipulation. Uh, and then threatens to punish him in the past, present, and the future. <coughs> we then get a... like that. <laughs> uh, we then get a glimpse into the rest of the Flashpoint world, uh, where the uh, Project Superman, or I guess you're just calling him Superman now, has gathered together a team of metahuman enforcers uh, to help save the planet from a Kryptonian invasion because apparently Jor-El and the Kryptonians are alive and want his son back and they are threatening to destroy the planet uh, and get and even destroy Kal-El if he gets in the way. Meanwhile other characters are bringing the fight to uh, Flashpoint Wonder Woman. A whole bunch of stuff is happening all over the place. The world is falling to pieces. Uh... 
Martha is still trying to convince Thomas to enter the time bubble and save their son. But the new Robin uh, then pleads to Mr. Wayne, if you do that, what's going to happen to me? Um, back in the real world, um, Corky throws his raccoon hats at Batman, saying, sick of Crockett. It turns out it's a real raccoon, uh, <laughs> which threw me for a freaking loop as well as is. Batman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was wild. Um, to which Rip says, "Damn it, get that ridiculous raccoon back in your head." Which honestly, brand new sentence. That's the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Rip pulls a hammer out of, I'm assuming, time, and is about to smash the snow globe, um, saying, "Look, this is for the best, Bruce. It's the only way." Uh, we then jump back into the flashpoints. Thomas has some weird visions of uh, Harvey Dent as Two-Face, possibly from his time on Earth Zero. Uh, and says, look, Dexter, you're not going to die. Martha, we have to save the boy. Stop this. Um, Stop it. Yeah, but Martha's still trying to plead Thomas just to get in the bubble and save their son. But Thomas says, we can't right now. I have to save the boy. And he lunges for Mrs. Dent. Who, again, whose name escapes me, uh, to which she just says no, and then detonates an explosive, which uh, blows up right next to Thomas Wayne, sending him sh uh, flying across the room and shattering the time sphere in the process. Uh, and her name uh, is Two Face. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna say it's just Two Face now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember her her first name. It's I just have this a shit is... memory. Is <laughs> what I have. <laughs> so I couldn't remember Melinda's name either. I just have a shit memory. Um, yeah, so Two-Face uh, is now just like, yeah, okay, fuck it. Uh, my son isn't supposed to exist, and neither are you. And shoots Thomas multiple times and is about to shoot Dexter. But then uh, Martha, Joker, gets in the way, takes the gun, and shoots Two-Face in the face, giving her a third face? Or no face. We'll go with no face. Let's <coughs> uh, say 1.5 no face. 1.5 face works, yeah. Uh, we can't even see how many faces because the onomatopoeia gets in the way. I think that's justified. Uh, so now with Two-Face down for the count <laughs> and uh, Batman, Robin, and Joker together again. Again, first time that's ever been said. Um, they escape from, I believe they were in Arkham Asylum, as it begins to collapse. Uh, they get out just in time as the entire building just shatters to pieces. And just then it starts to snow because they are in a snow globe. Because, you know, themes. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, the danger to time has subsided because Thomas Wayne has decided... Uh, that he's comfortable where he is. He does not need to fight it. Uh, Bruce is, is safe where he is, and he is happy with the world they live in. Uh, to which Rip says, like, this is unprecedented. Uh, this this shouldn't have happened, but it's stabilized. Everything's fine. Let's go. Uh, so they head off. We see where Flashpoint World has ended up. Uh, things are slowly getting back to normal. Dexter is being trained as a true Robin. Thomas as Martha locked up in a prison cell in the Batcave, but they live together happily, and they head off now to go fight a bunch of Kryptonians and help save the world. Uh, we then go to the Time Masters, 
uh, to their their time base or the time bunker, uh, where it's basically just destroyed because they were robbed by many people, including Batman. But then the the thirteen comes up, and these are thirteen people plucked from time uh, who have now escaped. And they've been all pulled back into history, and history is now rebuilding around them. And these 13 people are very curious characters indeed. Um, I will not go over them all now, but if you're reading the issue, you know who they are. Some interesting ones, like Judy Garrick, which has been mentioned, Golden Age Aquaman, uh, Golden Age Red Lantern, John Henry Jr., Betsy Ross. There's some curious names going on, and I cannot wait to see where they go with this. Uh, but now they'll have, um, as one member says, uh, what about the Justice Society? Will they uh, deal with these these characters that are being reintroduced into the 1940s? Uh, as Rip says, they'll have to handle Degaton. We have nostalgia to worry about. And then we cut to new character nostalgia with uh, Bubs, a cat very similar to the one from Watchmen. Uh, as she's breaking into, I believe, what looks like maybe a nuclear device or a bank or something. It's some some kind of scientific base. Uh, where she's up to no to, good. She's up to no good, yeah. Uh, they'll just have to find the Watchman, whoever that is. And that's where we end off in true Jeff Johns fashion. A lot of hints towards the future. Uh, I'm very excited about the new yeah. old characters. Uh, I'm loving teases like that, speculating where they may pop up, if they do at all. As for the overall plot, though, it's very curious. So Flashpoint just exists now, and it's in Bruce's office on his desk. Can anybody get in or out? Like, why Why do this? Especially at a point where there was such an interesting future for Dr. Batman in the grand scheme of things, especially with the JLI. Uh, but then they just decide to have Flashpoint exist. Uh, for no reason other than just because it seems like and i'm not sure what the point of that was as much as i did enjoy the whole story i'm just curious why uh we decided to just have like there were some interesting characters in flashpoint and why not let them play with the rest of the sandbox you know why keep them separated like that yeah i mean the question right is why did we decide to do a six issue sequel to flashpoint and well because it's gonna set up a whole bunch I guess. I mean, it sets up a bunch of stuff, but, like, I don't feel like this felt like the best choice of six issues. Um, Decent Uh event. Um, I enjoyed some, a lot of the moments of it. Um, It did feel a bit like a, I don't know, it felt very unnecessary, um, in spite of some really interesting stuff. I mean, the opening issue had all sorts of cool moments with, like, Bruce investigating, like, 5G and all this stuff that made it feel really important, but then the actual story as a whole um, isn't really as as important um it's a decent story um but not super important um i did really like the whole story with dexter um and i do really like the stuff with rip hunter i'm really excited for the golden age which comes out next month um to see this revitalization of jsa i wish johns wasn't writing it but um beggars can't be choosers so i'm excited to see what uh where this goes um for me this book is an eight but um, but I'm still very excited for what come, is to come next. Yeah, so wait, hold on. Did you say that Johns isn't? Did you say, um, what did you say, Rob? No, I said I don't wish, I, I wish Johns wasn't spearheading the Golden Age. Oh, gotcha. But, but like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to like right? complain but so much because I'm really excited for the books themselves. 
Yeah. So no, norm- gonna... normally I'd be there with Hold you, but there. his his Justice Society run from the two thousands was top notch. So I, no, I think he really more, knows how to handle the It's more about John side. the person and some of the controversy around him than uh, yeah than like his writing That's skills. Fair. Well, yeah. we'll see. <laughs> but it's same thing here as Young Justice for me, kind of this series. Uh, though it's had its decent moments, hasn't really been whole lot for me like nathan said it's just an unimportant story um this particular issue alone was a good read it was a the whole thing is basically a long swing on this really short story um it definitely took the scenic route but uh the ending here it's a hell of a cliffhanger double really kind of um we have to follow from one title to another now to wait and see if he delivers on what essentially is really just going to be one story spanning what I think three titles right JSA and Stargirl yeah I think so right so but um I can't I can't rate it on the future I just uh I hope I hope it pays off uh this issue though gets a 7.75 out of 10 all right, so we have a few minutes left. We'll rush into our top three. Nathan, you want to set us off there? Yep. GCBD Blue Wall number one. Um, I am Batman number two, and then I don't. I didn't really think about what my third would be. Um, I guess it would be. I want to say Flash, but I'm looking through the list. Do, 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 do. Oh, uh, Batman Superman World's Finest. There we go. Okay, there those are go. my three. You have a, a favorite moment? I forgot to mention. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the my to me the conversation almost stick out for me is the I am Batman conversation I'm talking about earlier, where they talk about like grayness in like ordinary, um, in like superheroes, and I think that's really just powerful and compelling, and the sort of like hopelessness slash like difficult decisions making that comes from that, and I just think it was a really great idea to bring up, and it's just the moment I think I'll think about the most heading out this week right on good choice Josh what about you Uh, for me number three I am Batman I love that story every every damn month the flash was number two what a good filler issue and I am not a filler issue fan and quite unlike my compatriots here I placed for my number one issue this week Catwoman um, however, my favorite moment didn't come out of any of those. It was the panel with the very painful wink that Babs gave to Dick when she was being so <laughs> super cheesy, uh, yeah. trying to take, you know, uh, trying to convince Nightwing to take a vacation. Um, that was like the way that that was drawn. I could see the super cheese wink that somebody would be doing in real life that would look just like. Yeah. Oh, that was my favorite moment for sure. How about you, Rob? Uh, so number three, I had Nightwing. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Number two, I had World's Finest. Uh, again, a lot of fun. And number one, my standout book was The Flash. Uh, just so, so much to love about that issue for me. Um, and for favorite moments, I'm kind of tied between uh, Jace's reaction to uh, realizing Tam's now fighting crime with his... Uh, fuck me and uh, the detective <laughs> right. like did you just ask me to like no 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 i did not do that 
fuck I'll explain yeah, later. That shit was um, hilarious. That's and Wally doing his intro. Like I am the, the the sleepiest man alive. Yeah, I I felt that this week, so that really stuck out for me. <laughs> that was good. Uh, so All that right. was our favorite moments. Uh, now it's time for your favorite moments. It is the, the biggest, biggest thinker. thinker. Oh, that's nasty. That it is Cleveland. All right, fellas, and what made you really sleepless do. this week? I don't think it's any kind of secret that uh, my biggest stinker this week. Like it is every month that it shows up, unfortunately, if my memory serves me correctly, which it just might not. But Dark Crisis Young Justice just was not up to snuff for me, which is weird wow. because Flashpoint Beyond was here, and I just have not liked that. Wow. <laughs> for me, it's Black Adam. Like I said, it's just still a little messy. Um, but I just completely disagree on the Young Justice, so it's funny. Uh, for me, Batman the Night. Uh, no, not really. No, I actually love that one. Uh, no, it's it's uh, Young Justice. Yeah, I have not read uh, One Bad Day Penguin yet, um, but I imagine that'd be quite good. I don't know. War of the Undead Gods is kind of iffy. What it's, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about the that that spinoff series, but we'll we'll see how it ends. Yeah, we'll see. How for now, though, I had Young Justice as well. For now, you have Young Justice. Yeah. And until next time. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, that's, that, real quick. That's just, our, uh, 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 yeah, real quick, just plugging my stuff. Uh, sure. I'm Nathan. You can follow me on Twitter at Pace and Nathan. Um, I should have some reading order stuff coming out soon. Um, theoretically, I'm supposed to be working on a dark crisis, a post-dark crisis reading order, but I have no idea what's going on with Solicit, so it's making everything really tricky. Um but I've got some cool stuff coming out, so make sure to follow me on, on Twitter. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on again. I really enjoy talking about comics. Um, I don't get to talk on this format a lot, so it's exciting to always get to rant or share my thoughts. So thank you guys so much for giving me this platform. Always happy to have hey, you. Man. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, always welcome, Nathan. Always. And uh, that's the comic herald that you are over there at, right? Yes, although I've been taking a break for mental health purposes so I haven't been doing as much. I am on the Not A Robot Substack sometimes, so make sure to look through there to see if what I'm talking about. Um, I'm all over the place in terms of how consistent I am at posting on it, but um, when you're struggling with mental health, it happens. Um, yeah, so follow like his I Twitter said, and he'll let you know. Yes, exactly. Right? Just check my Twitter. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. So... With that, and that is our show. Remember, you can help support us by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash podcast for just a dollar a month. And as always, there's only one way to say goodbye around here. Until next time, be good to each other. And don't. So well. Yeah. Mm-hmm.